welcome to another episode of Pilgrim Devotion. I am your host, Michael Howard, the senior pastor of Seaford Baptist Church and the host of this podcast, a podcast for anyone inside or outside of Seaford Baptist Church who is living the pilgrim life, representing the kingdom of God in the kingdom of man. Happy New Year to you. I've not been able to talk to you all here on the old podcast since the new year began. Uh, I apologize that we didn't have an episode last week. Sometimes the ministry of the church... Listen, I consider this to be actually a ministry of Seaford Baptist. It's something I do pastorally for our people. I'm I'm so glad that people outside of the church like it as well. I get texts and emails from people that are listening. Um, You know, people I know. I don't think... I don't know too many random people that have just stumbled upon Pilgrim Devotion. If you have... If you're listening somewhere off in, you know, the middle of Kansas or the middle of New Zealand or something, you know, let us know. Be happy to hear about that. But, you know, I've got friends and family who listen, uh, you know, acquaintances, uh, just different people that somehow have come across it, you know, friends of friends, things like that. So I'm glad for anybody and everyone who's listening. But one of the reasons I do the podcast is to uh, be able to just have another avenue to teach the people of our church at Seaford Baptist. And I'm just glad that other people may be blessed by that. But there are other ministries within the church that certainly will take uh, priority. First and foremost, the pulpit, right? And then uh, you know, soul care with our members. And last week was a short week coming off of a long holiday uh, break. And so there was, it was hectic. There was a lot going on. You know, when pastors have time off, you know, like these three-day weekends that pop up, you're like, all right, you know, New Year's falls on a, on a Monday or you got Labor Day weekend or Memorial Day weekend. Typically for not just pastors, but people that work in churches, that just means you got to do more work the week of, or the week before or the week after, uh, because you want to be able to enjoy that three-day weekend, then you're going to have to cram either the week before or the week after. Because the, the business of the church doesn't stop, you know. Uh, the whole world goes, hey, we're off, you know. It's, it's a bank holiday. Church doesn't really have those, do they? So, you know, we tend to stay pretty busy. So, yeah, it was really busy coming off, but it was a great Christmas uh, great new year. I hope it was for you. I hope your 2024 is off to a good start. So uh, one moment, let me finish my tea here. That's right, I'm drinking tea. Uh, I've really gotten into black tea. <laughs> I love it. I uh, can't stop. I'm drinking two to three cups a day. I, I wanted to get into coffee. I, I'm trying to, I want to produce the happy chemicals in my brain, you know, as much as I can through natural means. So like endorphins, serotonin, oxytocin, I'm missing one, uh, dopamine. And, and there's all sorts of ways you can produce these things. I mean, look it up, like cold showers, you know. I used to think cold showers for crazy people, but I've started to try them out here and there. Uh, you know, going on a run, exercising, and drinking coffee and tea. I, and I just can't do coffee, man. <laughs> I have tried. I can't get into it. I simply can't. So anyhow, I've gotten into the tea, and I'm drinking two to three cups a day. It's had me drinking less soda. Um, yeah, I love it. I love it. I, whole, I love the whole process, the kettle, the steeping, covering it. And I've even, so some folks in our church who have either grown up in England or are English themselves have given me crumpets. So now I'm making crumpets in the morning. I've got, uh, biscuits my wife gave me for, for Christmas, uh, McVitie's digestives. I, I'm in baby. I'm in. All right. So, uh, I, I'm not lifting the pinky, but I'm doing everything else. I'm loving it. And uh, I just finished a cup of black tea to uh, give me a kick in the pants for this podcast. So, yeah, 
If you're a tea drinker, I'm with you now. I'm in. Uh, today, we are going to be talking a bit about spiritual gifts, about uh, continuationism, cessationism, defining some terms, and I look forward to us being able to do that. Joel chapter 2, and it shall come to pass afterward, afterward, it says in verse 28, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit." And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls." That is a passage of scripture that is prophetic, and Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2 that it is fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Now, I don't know, uh, you know any Orthodox Christian believers who deny that. Uh, you know, Peter says it plainly, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you. Uh, by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the, pain, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And with the death and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, the new covenant is inaugurated, and the Holy Spirit is then poured out at Pentecost, just as Jesus promised. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, the apostles speak in tongues, and as the apostles speak in tongues, the people that hear it at Pentecost, they are actually confused, and they think that they're drunk because they are speaking in languages that are not their native tongue. Peter stands up, and he lifts his voice to the men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, and he says, give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, it's just nine in the morning. And then he actually quotes that uh, text from the book of Joel. He quotes that text. One moment, I'm getting a text from my wife as I talk about texting. One second, I'm with you. All right, sorry about that. Like I said, priorities, right? So, anyways, back to what I was saying after texting my beautiful wife about taco tortillas. That's what it was about. It was very important business. This text from Joel is quoted by Peter, and he says they are fulfilled in, in you know, this is fulfilled in the hearing of, of these people. Uh, this, this is what is happening. In these last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will... Pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, right out of Joel. Now, 
the question isn't whether or not we believe that the Spirit of God is poured out on the church there in that passage, and that, uh, and, and the question is not whether or not Joel's prophecy is fulfilled. The question is, are these things still happening in the church today? There are two camps on this. There are cessationists and there are continuationists. Cessationism is the view, and this is out of Joel Beakey, by the way. Joel Beakey is Reformed Systematic Theology. Joel Beakey is my favorite living theologian. I might even argue that he is the most important living theologian. And he and Paul Smalley, Beakey's a Presbyterian, Smalley's a Baptist. Their Reformed Systematic Theology is four volumes. Volume four actually comes out this May. I highly recommend it to you. Volume one, Revelation and God. Uh, in it, uh, Beakey defines cessationism in this way. It's the view that God has ceased to grant spiritual gifts involving miraculous knowledge and power, such as apostleship, prophecy, speaking in tongues, and healing, whereas continuationism asserts that God continues to supply such gifts to his church. There are cessationists and continuationists uh, you know, uh, throughout different branches of Christianity. Now, you're not going to find too many cessationists in the Pentecostal church, right? Uh, Pentecostals are going to believe that the sign gifts certainly are continuing today, uh, that what we're seeing uh, going on in Acts 2, that, that is for the church today, that what we're seeing in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, in, in verses 8 through 12, that that is for the church today. And, and, and so you're not going to find, and, and they also, you're going to find them, you know, arguing for a second baptism, uh, a, a, a distinct separate event, uh, second baptism of the Holy Spirit, where you would, uh, that would be evidenced by the speaking in tongues, where there are other continuationists who don't believe in, in a second distinct baptism of the Holy Spirit. They would deny that. So, not all continuationists are Pentecostals. Not all continuationists believe in a, a second event uh, where you are, are baptized in the Spirit and then you speak in tongues. Uh, there are plenty of continuationists that believe in one baptism of the Spirit, as I do. Uh, you know, our, our church and our denomination uh, also does that there's one baptism of the Spirit that happens upon you know, salvation— when uh, the Spirit takes up residence in you as a child of God. But, uh, you know, so not every continuationist is a Pentecostal, right? There are continuationists that would deny, you know, the Pentecostal doctrine of a second baptism of the Spirit, but they are, they're Baptist, they're Presbyterian, right? Uh, they're Reformed, they're not Reformed. There's all sorts of different cessationists and all sorts of different uh, continuationist. So it, it doesn't fall down denominational lines necessarily, but I do think that in reform confessional circles, you're going to find that there are more cessationists than continuationists. And I do believe that reform confessionalism would, you know, the Westminster Confession, the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, that they point us toward cessationism. I, I, I do argue that. Now, I know there are some brothers who would disagree. Uh, this has popped off a bit recently on a public stage because there was a documentary that came out that I recommend to you, that I really liked, called Cessationist, put out by G3 Ministries. Lots of Baptists and Presbyterians working together on this thing to talk about 
this subject. And I, I thought the documentary succinctly, uh, you know, presented a survey of, you know, a cessationist understanding of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, Pentecost, the apostolic age, all of that. Uh, I thought it was really, really good. I don't agree with everything in it, right? It's made by man. It's not inspired by the Spirit. It's just a documentary put out by men. But I thought that it was really good, even if there are, are bits and pieces there that I would say, well, I'm not sure I agree with that, or I'm not sure I agree with that. Overall, I thought it was really, really well done. Gavin Ortland, who I also like, he's a continuationist brother. He's a Baptist. He put out a video responding to cessationist, uh, the documentary, and he said that he found the cessationist documentary to be, I believe he used the term, deeply flawed. Well, I found his response to be deeply flawed. You know, he starts this video by saying, well, some of what I'm going to say in this video, it's a matter not of interpretation, but of fact. A lot of what I have to say here is a matter of fact. And then he proceeds to say a lot of things that are matters of interpretation. And so, I didn't care for that. I thought he interacted with a lot of straw men throughout his response, and I felt like he misrepresented some of the viewpoints of the cessationist documentary. And I don't think he did that in dishonesty. I, I just didn't think it was a very good response. And so I'm not really here to respond to his response because I'm not going to make all of you listening to this podcast say, hey, in order to really understand what I'm talking about here, you need to go watch a two-hour documentary and then you go listen to a one-hour response, right? Uh, I, I did watch the documentary. I did watch the response. But I more just want to get on here and, and just for you as listeners, I, I would like to, I hope it'll be a blessing to you. I, I want to try to throw out there, first of all, some cessationist arguments, also some continuationist arguments and some cessationist responses to those arguments. And it'll probably take a couple episodes to do this. Uh, as I do it, I am mainly using Joel Beakey's Reform Systematic Theology as you know my textbook here. It's going to guide me quite a bit as uh, I talk through this. And my purpose in doing it is not just for those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast, but I also hope to be able to drop a bit of a, an audio anchor, uh, you know, have an audio deposit here that I can point church members back to here at Seaford Baptist because, you know, we're, we're walking through the book of Acts right now. We're in Acts chapter 10 uh, as we speak. So as we're going through Acts, there's a lot of, you know, talk about this. There's a lot of uh, opportunity for us to be addressing cessationism and continuationism, and I have been preaching from a cessationist viewpoint without apology. And so if anyone has questions, these are kind of audio deposits, audio anchors I can point them back to say, hey, you know, go check this out, listen to it, hopefully it'll be helpful to you. Also, even more personally, here in our church, my Sunday school class that I attend, which right now is mainly led by Pastor Ben, because I just don't really have the time to be as involved in the teaching of that class as I would like, so Ben's really taken the lead, and uh, he's our other elder here at the church, and I'm so thankful for him doing that. Uh, and so we're going to be going through the spiritual gifts portion of our of our textbook, which is Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, and, and he's a continuationist. He's a continuationist that many in his own camp have a problem with because they say that he his they think his view of prophecy is weird. So I, I just thought it would be... Uh, good that you know our Sunday school class could even go back and listen to this. It's just another resource uh, for them. So I hope this will be helpful 
And uh, again, this isn't really a response to Ortland or a response to the cessationist documentary. It's just with all of that talk going on, on, on the old YouTube and on Christian Twitter, and with the talk of it in our church, I figured it was a good time to, uh, to talk about all of this. So let's start by talking about the apostolic age, okay? Because I really think that this is one of the biggest points of, of diversion. Uh, diversion? Is that the right term? This is one of the most diverging <laughs> points in the cessationist, continuationist conversation. It is about the apostolic age and the uniqueness of the apostolic age and how the apostolic age is different from the age in which we are living in. The chief instruments, Joel Beakey says, for God's new covenant revelation were the apostles, right? Jesus appointed the apostles to heal, to cast out demons, to preach the gospel. He appointed them to lay the foundation of the church. So really important uh, passage of scripture for this comes in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so the apostles, you can see there, along with prophets, are laying the foundation of the New Testament church. And the apostles are not appointed by men. Like, I was appointed by men, meaning... I felt at 14 I had a call to ministry, and it was I, really clear to me, actually, in the night that I became a Christian. Uh, I went back to the hotel room that I was staying in, the summer camp. I prayed to God, laying in bed. It was in the dark. Nobody else was in the room. Uh, I was staying in the room with my dad, actually, and uh, another uh, kid in the youth group named Eric, and they were out hanging out at the pool, and I was laying in bed listening to Third Day on my discman and I was just considering you know what I had experienced that night it was a very very emotional night for me I was really tired I had that thing where like my eyes were like burning and all red around them because I had cried so much uh, upon receiving the spirit um, I'm gonna sound like a charismatic here I, I I remember feeling like my face was vibrating I'm not saying that was because of the Holy Spirit it may have just been because I was crying so much and I was so emotional but I mean the 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 30 minutes from like the time that this altar call started to the time I went down to the front to the time that I prayed to receive Christ, uh, it was just so emotional for me. So I'm laying in this bed, just kind of recovering and, and about to go to bed, and I'm praying. One of my first prayers as a Christian, I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? And I just felt him in my heart just impressing upon me. He's like, hey, you know, you like always want to be the first one to get up and talk at a, uh, you know, give your, your presentation in science class or do show and tell or whatever at school. It's like, hey, I, I want you to talk. I want you to do what you heard Clayton King, the man who led me to Christ, what you heard him do tonight. And so I, uh, I, I 
the next night, you know, made it public. I kind of wish I hadn't done that, actually, because I had about 24 hours to deal with Michael the Christian before I became Michael the Preacher Boy. And so I have some regret about making it so public so quickly, but I did. I made it really public, told my youth group, told everybody uh, that I wanted to go into ministry. I wanted to be a preacher. And then I got trained up, you know, throughout the years. Different men discipled me, poured into me, and ultimately here at this church I was set apart and I was affirmed and appointed by a council of men who were also affirmed and appointed by other men to gospel ministry here at this local church, Seaford Baptist. It happened right in our worship center, right in front of the pulpit that I preach in every Sunday or just about every Sunday. I got down on my knees and a bunch of men who were pastors and deacons came through the line, and they prayed over me. And the last one to come through the line was my father. He got down on his knees, and we hugged each other, and he prayed over me. And it was one of the best moments of my entire life. Pointed by man, right? Wasn't the case of the apostles. They were pointed by the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. Like, they were eyewitnesses of his resurrection, and they were appointed by him directly and they received their doctrine from him in, in direct revelation, okay? And then you say, well, how do we know that these men were indeed apostles? Well, God confirmed the, the office with signs. So Paul in 1 Corinthians, or sorry, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, his apostleship is being attacked. And he says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So an apostle is confirmed by God with signs and wonders and mighty works. Okay, so just, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not confirmed by signs and wonders and mighty works the way that Peter is. And as you read the book of Acts, you see Peter doing signs and wonders in the manner of Christ, in the likeness of Christ, that makes it absolutely evident that the same Spirit that, anoint, that has anointed Christ and that is upon Christ, right, as he begins his ministry in Luke 4, and he, he opens the scroll of Isaiah, and he stands up in the temple, and he says, Spirit of the Lord is upon me to, to preach good news. Uh, the same Spirit, Spirit of Christ is working through the apostles, and that the ministry of Christ is continuing through the apostles as they lay the foundation of the church. You say, well, how do you know we're not supposed to still have apostles today? Well, when Paul is writing to Titus, and when Paul is writing to Timothy, he is not telling them, hey, make sure you appoint apostles in every town. No, he's telling them you appoint elders in every town, because it's elders who will come along after the apostles, after the prophets, after the closing of the New Testament canon, right? Because the New Testament is written by uh, apostles or someone who is directly connected to an apostle. And, and so with the closing of the New Testament canon and the closing of the apostolic age, there's not going to be any more apostles. So even in the midst of the apostolic age, you don't see Paul appointing apostles. You don't see uh, Paul telling Timothy how to appoint apostles. Instead, you see instructions on how to set aside what? Elders and deacons. Elders who are going to serve the church by leading it and deacons who are going to help lead the church by serving it. 
without governing authority. But the governing authority will be with the elders who will govern the church by the word, right? The word that is the foundation of truth for the church, and it's a foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. And so this apostolic age is unique. The apostles themselves have a very unique ministry. Uh, If you were in church with us this past week at Seaford Baptist, what you heard me talk about is these parallels between Acts chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 9. And so just as there are about to be Gentiles coming into the church, it's going to be very important that, that Peter is affirmed as an apostle, confirmed as an apostle, so that when he stands up and says, Listen, I'm an apostle. I got my revelation, my doctrine. It directly came from Jesus. His spirit is in me. And these Gentiles are believing the same doctrine. They're receiving the same spirit, and they belong in the church, right? It's going to be really important that no one can question the fact that the spirit of Christ is working in Peter and then now working in Cornelius' family, the first Gentile, you know, full-blown pagan Gentile family to come to Christ. So... If you look at Acts 9, you have the healing of Aeneas, who is paralyzed. You have the, heal, the, the resurrection of Dorcas, and Tab, uh, Dorcas, who is also called Tabitha. You have uh, her, name means gazelle. Uh, our sister, whose name means gazelle, is resurrected by the Lord Jesus Christ through the laying, hand of, laying on of hands by Peter. You say, what's the big deal? Well, if you go to Matthew 9, you have Jesus... He, he lays hands on a paralyzed man, and, and he rises from the dead. Uh, and then you have, in the same chapter, him resurrecting um, someone from the dead. I'm sorry, Aeneas doesn't rise from the dead. He rises from his bed and walks. Then he, he, he is resurrecting uh, someone from the dead later in the chapter, right? And so, and if you look at the two stories, there's so many parallels, like he's sending people out of the room in Matthew 9 before the resurrection. In, in Acts chapter 9, Peter sends people out of the room. Um, people believe uh, after the resurrection. The same thing with the paralyzed man in both cases. Uh, there's, there is this, you know, you, you rise up, you walk, you make your bed, and then there's people believing. And so there's all these parallels between Matthew 9 and Acts 9 just making it abundantly clear that it is Christ, the cornerstone, who is working through Peter the Apostle, who's laying the foundation. And if you go back to Ephesians 2, where it's talking about the foundation being laid, well, uh, you have in that same text Paul talking about how Jews and Gentiles are now under one roof, right? Jews were those who were near. Peace has been preached to them through the gospel. Gentiles are far off. Peace has been preached to them by the gospel. And now both have access in one spirit to the Father and are no longer strangers and aliens. There is one new man in place of the two. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down and torn down by Christ. He himself is our peace. And this business about the Gentiles coming to the church is also important. Because in Acts chapter 2, it's Jewish men, right, Jewish apostles who are receiving the Spirit in Acts 2. 
There's a promise to them that they're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. So they receive the Spirit in Jerusalem, just as Jesus promised they would in Acts 1.8. And then they go and they are witnesses. And you can watch it happen in, in Acts, right? They're witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea in Acts 2 through 7. And then there is this persecution led by a man who would become the apostle to the Gentiles, right? It's led by Saul. The church scatters. They take with them the gospel and the spirit who dwells in them, and they go and they are witnesses. Philip goes to Samaria. He's leading this Ethiopian eunuch to Christ and baptizing him. And so there it is. Gospel's going up to Samaria. And then you see it in Acts chapter 9 and 10, moving beyond Samaria to Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, right? And as this is happening, like I said, there's going to be this uproar in the church and people are saying, we can't have full-blown Gentiles coming into the church. What is this? You're telling me the covenant of God, the promise of God, the promise of eternal life, the promise of grace, that, that the faith of Abraham, that it belongs to a, an uncircumcised Gentile like Cornelius? Get out of here. And Peter is able to go, hey, he's speaking in the same tongues that we spoke in. And so here we're seeing then a purpose for the tongues, which, by the way, the tongues are not gibberish. Uh, the tongues that are being spoken are, are actual languages that these men did not know by heart, not their native tongue, not their heart language. They're speaking actual languages, right? So uh, you have Cornelius speaking the same, same tongues, and so Peter is able to stand up as a foundation-laying apostle and say, look, speaking in the same tongues. So just as we don't see instructions regarding apostles uh, in, in the rest of the New Testament, because there's not going to be any more apostles, when it comes to the gift of tongues, once Jew and Gentile are living under the church, and once 70 AD comes and goes, and once the issue, that's when uh, Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem is, is run over, and the city itself is run over by the Romans, uh, I believe that was God's judgment on that city for what they did to uh, Jesus, the Messiah. And, and so once all that goes down, once the apostolic age closes, we have the word of God telling us in, in places like Ephesians 2 that Jew and Gentile are one in Christ, in, in Romans 9 through 11, how Gentiles are grafted into the tree of promise. There's no need anymore for tongues to... Uh, to confirm that Gentiles should be in the church and, and indeed are receiving the promise because it becomes accepted and it's, it's no longer this great issue within the church. And so that would be uh, another example of how this apostolic era was unique and that there are things happening in the era that are unique. Another reason that I'm a cessationist is because of the pattern of uh, the miraculous in the Bible. This is one of the places I did have a big problem with Gavin Ortland because he called it the cluster argument. Uh, basically, if you look at the Bible, there is a high volume of the miraculous in the time of Moses, a high volume of the miraculous in the time of uh, Elijah and Elisha, a high volume of the miraculous in the time of Jesus Christ. The purpose of it in the time of Moses is to uh, confirm uh, Moses and Aaron as the, the you know, Moses being the, the leader of the nation, Aaron being uh, the, the high priest. And it, it, these signs and wonders, first of all, show that God is superior to Pharaoh, but they're also, um, these are important signs as 
the the old covenant, right? The 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 covenant of Sinai is being established. And so you can see why there would be a high volume of miracles to confirm God's men during that time. Then you have during the time of Elisha and Elisha, the entire nation is about to fall into apostasy and fall away. And so these signs and these miracles, and these wonders, they are confirming these prophets as God's men during this very important time. There's a high volume of them. And then, of course, during Jesus and the apostles, you have the new covenant being inaugurated and the foundation of the New Testament church being laid. And so you can see why it would be important for Jesus. You know, these signs and wonders confirm him as the Messiah, as Peter says in Acts chapter 2. And then the signs and wonders are confirming the apostles as the ones that Jesus is continuing his ministry through as they lay the foundation. There's 10 resurrections in the, in the Bible. All of them happen either during the time of Elijah and Elisha or during the time of Jesus Christ and his apostles. I mean, what does that say to us? And... So in his video, Orland's like, there's miracles throughout the whole Bible. Brother, nobody's denying that. Come on. And, and I, I know that he's got to know that. Nobody's denying that. All we're saying here is that there's a high volume of miracles and, and that the time of Moses, the time of Elijah and Elisha, at the time of Jesus and his apostles, these are times of unparalleled, uh, you know, miraculous signs and wonders, and it's for specific purposes, and so what we see there, we should not expect to be normative in the church today. So anyways, those are, those are my two, uh, two of the big reasons why I'm a cessationist. Uh, you might call the first one the foundation argument. You might call the second one the cluster argument. That's what uh, Ortland calls them. And that might even be what they call them in the cessationist documentary. I can't remember. But those are two big reasons that I'm a cessationist. We'll come back next week and we will talk a little bit more about continuationist arguments and cessationist responses. As we wrap up today and I wrap up our first podcast of the new year, I want to ask the questions that we'd like to ask at the end of each one of these. Christian, how is your soul doing? How is your soul doing? Secondly, I would like to ask you, um, how is God's grace at work in your life? And then, how would you like for his grace to be at work in your life? What are those areas where you say, man, I am just struggling here. I need victory in this area. What are those places where you're, you're living below your level of income as a believer? You, you are rich in Christ. His power dwells in you. Where are you just living in defeat, not walking in victory, not walking uh, as, as a double conqueror, right? And if you consider these questions... You know, maybe you have big plans coming in the new year. You're like, we're going to rock it this year. Here we go, me and Jesus. And you feel like you've just fallen on your face for the first couple weeks of the year. Reach out to us at connect.seafordbaptist.com if you want to talk to somebody. We would love to talk to you. And if you're out of the area, we'd love to connect you to a pastor in your area. If you don't have a local church, if you do have a local church, go talk to your pastor. But I hope that you have a great week. We'll be back again next week. And until then, keep living the pilgrim life. <music>